Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, helping individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast. This is episode number 27. And the topic today is overcoming past trauma so that you can live your best life. I just had today a client who shared with me an experience that when he was 11 years old, he said this situation happened that impacted him the rest of his life. He could name the emotions he felt, everything that actually happened. And it was a domestic violence situation where he saw his mother get almost killed by his father. And that kind of situation, those things can stick and sink in and impact us deeply. And getting over that, moving forward, is a topic that I've got a lot of requests to address, this topic of trauma. And I actually have a special guest today that is going to share her expertise. And I'm going to introduce her in just a second. But if you're new to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, my goal is to speak about topics. And this is kind of a heavy one, but in such a way that you could describe it to a six-year-old and they could understand. I mean, some basic things, not over, not complex, not overly complex. I want you to leave with practical steps you can take, takeaways that might seem like much with this type of topic, but I really don't think it's going to be when we really break it down. I also want to talk about things in such a way that, uh, well, I mean, it's stuff that I struggle with as well. And I think that's one of the parts about being in mental health and this profession that, you know, we are fellow travelers. And so a lot of our history and our story comes out as we have passion for these topics. So I'm Adam Gregg. I'm a life coach and a mental health professional. I've been doing this over 20 years. I can't believe that. And uh, my passion, my purpose in life is to help people find transformational clarity to find that kind of clarity with their lives so that it propels them to face their biggest fears. Trauma is often at a root level something that creates tremendous fear in our lives that we're gonna address today. And this is gonna be a little bit different because a lot of it's gonna be me asking my guest, who I will introduce right now. Her name is Jenny Helms, and she's the owner of a business in town. I have a lot of respect for her. Um, she is a relational trauma and eating disorder specialist. And uh, the name of the business is Soma. And so I've kind of from a distance been able to watch her. I try to align with people who really align with my core values. And, you know, my core values are courage, intentionality, and hope. And that's what I've seen just watching from a distance from her. And so I'm real excited to for you to get to hear her perspective because I can sense and I have sensed really her passion for this topic. And so we're going to learn from her today, and you'll have a chance to reach out to her, but it's going to be great. And I do want to start this with, I have been sharing every episode at the beginning, a fear that I have walked into recently, something that I have faced. And here's kind of a weird one, but I got in a spat with my sister about two months ago when I was on vacation in California, and she pissed me off, you know, and I didn't know, it kind of, she kind of went off on me and I was really frustrated, but I didn't handle it very well. And I didn't have a good, you know, I, I, I was at fault too, but I didn't want to own that. In fact, I kept blaming her and this and that for probably about a month and a half. So my sister and I are very close, but you know, she does have red hair and I can blame it on that red hair or whatever, but really I needed to apologize. And so the risk I took was she was avoiding me, I feel, but I, I just apologize. We're going to talk tonight, kind of move forward. 
Um, why is that scary? I don't know why apologies are scary, but a risk, when you take a risk, you could get rejected. So I felt like, you know, I know my sister loves me, but I felt like maybe she could keep avoiding and that would really hurt. And so I did face it. And so we'll hopefully talk tonight. And then another thing I'm actually wanting to do every episode, which I have done before is, uh, my guests, Jenny and I are each going to answer a question from the legacy jar. And so you may be familiar with these. I sell these and have been selling them for almost 10 years now. And so just randomly, I'm going to pick a question. I think this is something good. And Jenny can go first. So you can get a little bit of, oh my gosh, number four. What are some of your most prized personal possessions? Yes. Okay. Is it is it bad that the first thing that came up was my dog? Even though, because I don't think no. of her as like, I don't possess her, but like, I love my dog so much. Um, what kind of dog is that? She's a golden doodle. All right. Yeah, yeah. her name's Nora. I love her. I was just thinking about like if I if there was a fire, like what would I want to like keep with me? And she would <laughs> number one dog. save the dog. Absolutely. Um, you know that's yeah that's a great question. Anything what, what like a, a tangible thing, like a physical yeah. thing? That you'd say. Hmm. Mm. That's a good question. Okay. Um, I think currently there's only really like one picture that I have in my house that I'm like, okay, this is a, like, it's me when I'm really young and I'm there with my sisters and I'm about four years old and I'm wearing like this belt and I have sunglasses on and I'm like totally being sassy and just like, it's just a really good picture of us and we're all in our little outfits. And, nice. um, I think that would be something I would really You'd hate to lose. Yeah, that. I would hate yeah. to lose. But otherwise, honestly, most of the things in my home are not like super sentimental. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, not in the ways that I would, you know, connect to them. But yeah, I think that, that picture and my dog kind of segue into the topic as well. But I got to answer yeah. my question. So, oh, that's not a good oh, question. Do I, do I ask it? Or do you uh, ask uh, you it? Can, you pull all it. Right, you ask all it. Right. That sounds good. Kay. That's much better. <laughs> that way you can't put it back. <laughs> exactly. I didn't like that one. <laughs> I don't so. like that one. Ooh, you probably know this one. What are your three biggest goals this year? Oh my gosh, how complicated. That's cool. Well, yeah, one of the big goals I have is to launch a new online course by Christmas. One goal I have is to actually get, well, this year, I guess the year's almost over. So I would like to do a half marathon this year. Oh, that's uh, quite a great goal. I mean, that's not a big, huge goal. I would... Oh boy. Um, that's a, it's an interesting one. I also like to get a new ebook done. I got to spend some more time on that. See, this is not good. Okay. <laughs> let's go back into the topic here. All right. So, um, so we're talking about trauma and you know, what is it that you mentioned that picture with your siblings and everything at a young age. So what is it that has driven your passion for this subject? I mean, I, I like you, you had mentioned this before, but I kind of, I stole this term from someone and I don't even remember who I stole it from, but the term wounded healer, um, definitely had my own experiences with trauma. And I mean, as we kind of delve into what I define as trauma, I think most, if not all people have some form of trauma in their lives, um, especially childhood trauma and different things that, um, you know, I'm still working through different pieces of it, but you know, there have been layers that I've worked through and I definitely have a different understanding of myself and the world. And because of the ways that I've been able to heal and how powerful that's been in my life and in my relationships and how it impacts my career and just all these mm -hmm. other areas of my life, um, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about. And it's something that 
I don't think a lot of people really learn about correctly or they don't realize that we can heal from trauma and they don't connect the dots as to how much that impacts their current relationships. Like mm. things that happened in the past impact what's going on now, but they don't connect those dots. Mm. They just think certain things about themselves or certain things about the world. And they like go with those belief systems and don't realize that this can all be healed and change for them. Mm. And so what are the ways that it'll impact relationships now if you don't deal with this stuff? So trauma shows up in many different ways, but if we're going to give like a really big picture of it, um, it's not like I really love what I've learned from Gabor Mate and Dan Siegel. They are kind of the the experts that I would go to and um, lean on as far as with trauma. And, mm. and in addition to Bessel van der Kolk, I have to put him out there too. Um, yeah. But essentially, Gabor Mate says it really well. He talks about how trauma isn't what happens to us. It's what happens inside of us. And it's the things that switch inside of us change the way that we see ourselves, the world, or others in a way that's negative. And mm. so if you can imagine, you have this event, and after the event, the story about the world or the story about other people shifts in your brain. And so now you're mm. like trying to, you know, your brain has what we call attribution bias, where once it's created a story, so it could be even something as simple as like people with beards are scary or bad mm. or dangerous. Um, it will find all of the evidence in your environment and in your experiments, you know, moving forward that people with beards are scary mm. or dangerous. And so anytime you have a, a, an interaction with somebody with a beard, you're going to overly focus on what's negative and you're going to be in that like threat sensitivity mode where you're really pulling out any sort of like threat mm. you might perceive. Meanwhile, because you're super sensitive to threats, um, you're going to come across differently to that person too. And they actually might sense threat mm. from you because you're in that anxiety mode. Yeah. And so they're going to behave differently and in ways that may be less safe because of the way you even go into that event. So anyway, mm. there's there's layers to this. But essentially, if you don't heal those stories, you carry that into every relationship that you have. And that story is going to pay what you pay attention to and what you don't mm -hmm. and what you end up like bringing out in people and the experiences that you have of life, essentially. Yeah, that is fascinating. So what do you think about the client who says, like, I've dealt with that? Like I had somebody mm -hmm. even in recently like, you know, I've dealt I've dealt with that. I'm, you know, I mean, all these red flags go up in me saying like, mm -hmm. no, you haven't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You know I'm, what I'm saying? Like, because yeah. I want people to deal with their past. I want yeah. people to move past their past. So it's not impacting them now. But that denial, I guess the question is like, what's the role in, of denial and how do you help people to get past that? Right. Well, I think, I mean, that's key. The first thing is I really do think people don't realize they have the problem, right? They are in their denial and they they believe that. It's not like they're aware of their denial. They just fully believe that. And I think they lean into that because it's less painful, right? Like the story that I've already overcome all of this, I, I don't right. have to like dig back into this stuff and you know, feel pain is, you know, short term, less mm -hmm. painful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing that I would ask that client, because, you know, again, it shows up in these different ways when we're not really quite re ready to face it until we are like, okay, duh, this is still happening or this still right. is impacting me. Or it's destroying um, your life. Yeah, right? well, like, 
And I've done that. I mean, I I will call myself out. I've done that. I've done that where I was like, oh, I've already overcome that thing in my life. And then sure enough, it was showing up in other layers Mm. or in other ways because I didn't really realize what trauma was or how that Mm. impacts relationships. Right. Um, So I was that person for probably about eight years where like I had this like, you know, big thing in my own childhood that I was like, ah, I'm over that. I'm done with that. And um, it was... It was hard for my ego, but it was also just painful for me to like lean back into that stuff because um, I thought I had already dealt with it. I thought it was done in like a closed chapter. Um, And my brain liked that story better too, for one reason or another. You know, I even tell people, you know, I think I became a therapist because I'm a control freak and because I wouldn't have to deal with my own crap if... I could help other people. So I could Mm -hmm. control helping other people, but I didn't have to look at myself internally. And, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I just recently, I had a memory in a situation I knew happened and everything, but I didn't want to accept it. And I mean, didn't address it and deal with it until, you know, the last couple of years, which is crazy to think because I'm helping all these other people, but my own, it's the power of denial. How much we don't want to deal with it. I mean, there's things in our lives we may say, we're going to go to the grave with that. Mm-hmm. And then I have clients that say, man, I mean, literally in their 60s, 70s, 70s it's been 50 years. And even uh, will tell me, I can't, you know, this is so freeing. I'm able to share my story. I know why I do what I do. I know why I sabotage myself now. I have some level of clarity. That's super exciting for me to actually see that. So what what are some of the, what what is a definition of trauma? What causes trauma? Mm. What are situations? I mean, this is so, because you think like some people yeah. say, oh, you know, they were in combat, saw their buddies in this, and they're like kind of functioning well, they're not, other people aren't. It's like, give us a definition in kind of those situations you think trigger it. So, I mean, trauma <clears throat> is is a wounding. And again, it's that internal wounding of how we end up like shifting the way that we respond to ourselves, the world or others, or how we see them after an event. And I feel like, so I think a lot of people, when they think of trauma, they think of those events like car accidents, combat, um, or even like a physical trauma and being in the ER. But the ones that they don't recognize are the subtle ways that we experience certain events in childhood um, or didn't experience certain events. So the Mm -hmm. lack of experiencing certain things and how that impact impacted our developing brains, essentially. Um, people don't talk enough about childhood trauma. And I think there's a couple different reasons why. A, lack of knowledge generally, but also I think it's hard because people aren't trying to do the whole like parent or caregiver blaming thing. And I just want to preface this that I believe that most, if not all parents, are doing their best and that they love their Mm -hmm. kiddos. But that doesn't mean that they're perfect human beings without stressors and that they don't have things going on that end up impacting a little kid and their developing brain. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have kiddos, but I know if and when I do, I will inevitably traumatize them in certain ways. And and that's just part of being human and parenting. Um, So when I talk about trauma, it's it's also the things in childhood that we – picked up on, like when we're little, our brain can perceive, um, you know, our caregivers stress, anxiety, depression, if they're going through something hard. Um, In my own childhood, my parents were going through really hard stuff when I was very little. Mm. 
So when you think about that, like from zero to four, and this happens later on too, but like those really critical time periods, you know, what were your parents going through and how that could even be different sibling to sibling, Yeah. right? Because people can be from the same family and they're like, well, why did this person, um, you know, have an addiction and this person not, or how come this person's Mm -hmm. this way? And um, we all have different experiences of our parents and the different events that are happening in our lives as our brain is developing. Mm. And our brain, when we're little like that, we respond in certain ways and it kind of gets stuck in that pattern even when it's no longer valid. Mm. So like as we grow, we don't necessarily outgrow that pattern of how we um, responded to those events to basically survive and mm-hmm. um be emotionally resilient in that moment. Hmm. You know, it makes me think about like when my situation, what you shared about the parenting and the, you know, I feel like I have good parents that love me. I mean, they, they're, they're good people. They've been married for over 50 years. And, but I know when I was young, my dad's an entrepreneur and he's started multiple businesses. And I, I know he had about the time I was, when I was five and six, when I went through something traumatic, his dad had died. He had started another business and my brother was born all about that same time. And a lot of the stuff that happened, I, I, I've tried to understand myself. Like, why do I interact with people? Why do I easily isolate or why do I easily shut down and not want to express and rock the boat and be assertive and things? It's kind of my go-to pattern. And even back then, I mean, they identified that I had some issues. I had been through something traumatic. They missed, they brought me to a child psychologist when I was six and seven, twice, believe it or not but they didn't identify the core issue because I didn't mm-hmm. open up about it. Mm-hmm. And I even started, but I'm just kind of dealing with some of that now, but I get so excited because because there's so many people out there that can have these things and deal with it. And you know, my own parents, they, they have felt, they've struggled with this. Like, you know, it goes from being like, we're failures as parents to like being, you know, but that was 40 years ago, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the mm-hmm. gamut. I'm like, yes. I don't care if it was 40 years ago, I was still your kid, you know, and you should have been whatever, you know, and you guys were busy obviously, but, it's been it's been freeing and you know what I want for my clients more than anything and even why this topic's so important is really two things. I mean, I want people to live with flexibility, to understand that rigidity is your enemy. That's my 7-up bottle thing. Don't be perfect. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. Perfectionism and procrastination they go hand in hand. Let's live in the middle. Let's tr- learn to trust ourselves. And then the second thing is to fully be yourself so you can be whole and know yourself. You know, in some ways I'm getting to know myself you know, in my 40s when I should have, you know, but I have clients that will tell me that. I had a client recently in his 60s say, I'm getting to know myself. I said, thank God, you know, because most people don't ever do that. You know, they're worried about pleasing people and they have this stuff going on that's like, you know, it's not them. So, but the trauma aspect gets people, if you work through this, you can get to the other side and you're no longer stuck in the same way. I mean, when people can talk about their trauma, I find for even for myself, it doesn't have its power over me. I'm not shamed. It's not like I have this shame anymore. I mean, it's still hard. It's hard to share this even on a podcast right now because then it's like the shame part of me is like, well, that could be used against me. But I mean, it's really freeing though. So that's my hope and why at times when I'm doing coaching, I will have people identify some things and they'll work with a therapist like Jenny while I'm doing the coaching because coaching is very future oriented. And so they're dealing with this stuff at the same time, which can help them to get to that next level and whatever they're actually doing. And so I got some other questions here. What is, uh, curious here, but how does somebody know when they have an issue? 
I'm like, glad. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was gonna kind of circle back to something you said that was really um, profound, which is you know getting to know yourself and how much like that's like part of the process of you know when we're healing from trauma, that's when we're actually able to be more of ourselves. And it's actually a response to trauma to be in that space where we're not ourselves or we're Mm. really, we're shutting down or we're hiding parts of ourselves or we're really just like trying to people please or whatever that manifests as. Um, And so kind of circling back, like we'll know that we're struggling with trauma or there's work to be done because we're not feeling like we know ourselves mm. that or that we're able to really fully be ourselves. Um, there's also, you know, if we're struggling with addiction being defined as, um, you know, really using any substance to ease pain, stress, or boredom mm. um, or any sort of thing in our lives. So workaholism is also, yeah. or just like being busy or on your phone About or golf. golfing and anything can actually be an addiction. I think what the defining feature is that you're using it to ease some sort of pain and it's detrimental to you or others in your life. And you're not able to stop it the minute it becomes detrimental to you uh-huh. or others in your life. And Uh. so when you look at that definition, many of us struggle with our own kind of like flavors of addiction. Uh. Um, And we kind of have to look at our lives and like, what areas am I like still kind of using something, someone or some Mm. substance to ease pain, boredom or stress? And it's detrimental to me or other people. Mm. So that makes me think, well, there's this, what's the connection with self-sabotage and unresolved, undealt with trauma. Cause you think like, well, people are making decisions that they may not even identify as harmful mm-hmm. because they're not self-aware enough, but they really are harmful or do they know, or are they, you know, that's kind of confusing to me a little bit, but you see the negativity. I think that's self-sabotage a lot. I think relational decisions can be self-sabotage. Like, you know, somebody mm-hmm. is like, you know, not a good person for you to like have as a great friend, but mm-hmm. they're and they're continually choosing bad friend or continually making decisions. So what's, what's the connection there? So let's take that example. So if somebody is choosing a bad friend, what are they getting out of that friendship or even a bad like relationship? What are the things that usually they'll describe? Like I'm getting this out of the relationship. Well, you think of somebody like I had somebody tell me they, you know, they're married, happily married, but they keep getting involved in, in a pornography and they were, and they were like, well, I keep like, you know, I don't want to, they're getting out of it like self-protection. Like they don't have to engage their wife the same mm-hmm. way, or they're getting mm-hmm. maybe even like validation that they are a bad person by engaging mm-hmm. people that are not treating them well. Or so what, what are Tell they getting me more. At? So they, they go to pornography because it's less risky. Like they yeah. won't be rejected by their wife. Or yeah, could be, le- could, yeah, they wouldn't be rejected. They won't have to engage in a physical way there. So they wouldn't be rejected or, mm-hmm. Um, I've had people say they're reliving the past trauma through that by the type of relationships that they're engaging in. Mm-hmm. So like somebody that's treated them the way that someone else would, like controlling or mm-hmm. or they're more, you know, uh, so. So a sense of mastery, a sense of competency, a sense of control, or it's easing their, because let's, I mean, for pornography too, like it does give people that rush, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. it can ease pain. It can ease, uh, or it can make them feel validated or powerful. Yeah. Um, and so those things itself, like they're seeking when they're doing something that ultimately is self-sabotaging, 
they're they're not doing it for the sabotage behaviors. They're typically doing it for the benefits they get the or the good, you know, the good thing they they're getting, even if it's temporary and not a good long-term solution, right? Isn't that something? And they can control in that area, there's more sense of safety than being vulnerable with people and like making friends where they can't control it or they don't know what's going to come, but that's where real love lies Mm -hmm. in those vulnerable. So it's like they are going to like settle for, you know, whatever, pig slop, right? But they they have this thing that they could be so, it could be so much better Mm -hmm. right there. So that makes sense. It's confusing, ain't it? I mean, it is. it's like, you know, you want to, but. Well, and to love and to attach means to be willing to experience pain and grief. Why? Why do we have to do that? You have, you have to. <laughs> I know. It's you a ha- love. It's, like, it's part of it. Isn't like, that crazy? As a dad, it's like, what can make me more frustrated? <laughs> but Emerson, you know, like, you know, like she's 14, but I love her, you know? And so, mm-hmm. but, but why do I, I want to. Even there, you know, it's funny how we can go to what's safe. Like I want to have, I want to be about rules versus like relationship. Mm. And that it's a question for you. Like, what is the relationship between control and, because you see sometimes people that are victims of trauma can be preyed upon by un, by like, you know, cults and mm-hmm. like ultra rigid church crap and like mm-hmm. really rigid, like causes politically are really weird. You know, like what's the connection with like that? They're, they're all like, they almost like have a target on them saying like, come take advantage of me. Well, if you don't have a strong sense of yourself, you will create an identity around like a cult or a belief system or something else, mm-hmm. because that almost feels like it's like, this becomes my identity. Like it kind of makes yeah. them feel that sense of like security and like, this is who I am. And the brain likes uh, categories and likes things to be yeah. in black and white as far as like, and, and that's because the brain actually likes to save energy. It's not because our brain's trying to work against us, but it likes certainty. Mm. It likes rules. It likes stories. If somebody's offering a narrative for people and for whatever reason that is fitting the trauma story that they had, like again, the attribution bias, mm-hmm. they will get sucked into it and they won't question it. Because it fits the story they have, and they're looking for more proof to validate that story that they kind have. Kind of validating that they're not worthy or that they're – so they get their identity mm-hmm. out of something that's going to – you know, it's even like they 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 grasp onto something that's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to find my sense of worth from this thing rather yes. than from myself. Yes. So, Okay. Because they don't even know who they are or like, they can't really fight certain beliefs or stand up for who they are if they don't really, they're not connected to who they are. Right And a lot of people who struggle with trauma are not connected to who they are. They're disconnected Mm -hmm. to actually who they are. And so Mm -hmm. how can somebody, if they've been through traumatic things and they really want to work on finding out who they are Mm -hmm. and getting to the other side, I mean, I know it's not an easy path, but- Mm -mm. What, what, <laughs> I, what, wish, what, I wish it were, but <laughs> right. It's I mean, I mean, we're all on that path to yeah. some extent, right? Yeah. So, um, so how does somebody start that process? I think disco- self discovery. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is even acknowledging that that's something they want, um, and that they recognize that they have trauma to heal from. And I know that sounds very simple. But if they don't know, like it's going to be like the denial thing we were talking about before where like our brain is really good at self-deception. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's not trying to work against us, but it's trying to protect us in that. But 
first things first, we have to be able and willing to like sit with ourselves and and see what's going on. And that's vulnerable. Mm. And that means being able to deal with or sit and feel and deal with pain. Mm. So actually deal with uh, to have patience, maybe. Yeah. Like to go to hard places. Right. Because you have to have a willingness to get vulnerable and to feel and deal with pain. And and it's not like you're going to learn how to do that overnight. It's almost like a process of like getting getting into that space and knowing it's okay because Mm. before it wasn't safe for whatever reason again like you know if you grew up in a in a certain family system where like you didn't get to express your feelings or or for whatever reason things weren't safe or you know your parents were going through things so like you kind of shut down your feelings to you know make sure everything else was okay um you're you've been programmed for so long to not go there. And so you do have to kind of relearn to go into those spaces and that it's safe. Man, it feels uh, pretty scary to go do that. So you're saying to open up and to, it's going to feel real awkward. Mm -hmm. Right. I wish it, I wish it wouldn't. I mean, my journey was not like, I was very stubborn in my own journey and, you know, I'm still doing trauma work. I'm still, there's still parts of myself I'm learning to face. And I see my way. therapist at eight o'clock tomorrow. So I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, there was periods where I was here twice I a week. Ya. So it's not, you know, cause when yeah. it comes out, you really want to talk about this stuff. And, mm-hmm. but so then how does, um, how does you, you mentioned, and I talk quite a bit about intuition and trusting yourself and getting in connected with yourself that trauma creates this, uh, I got to understand and think, 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 kind of overthinking. I mean, I'm going to analyze and see what could go wrong. What's your opinion or perspective on getting out of your head and kind of trusting your intuition when it comes to healing and moving forward? Yeah, um, it's it's catching yourself in that narrative, right? Because I would say that that's like when you start to get into that place where you're thinking overly thinking things or you're trying to plan and prepare and or you or you've already made right planning everything or you've already made an assumption about an event or a person that this is going to go bad or they're bad or they're going to reject me or whatever it is Mm. it's catching yourself in that and being able to like bring it back and say what else could be true or Mm. learning to sit with question marks because Mm. that's very I mean, that's a skill. That's a skill that we actually have to develop in our brains because naturally our brain is like, question marks are not okay. Like if we have a question mark, we assign meaning to it. Right or wrong. Like our brain will be like, cool, that's a that's a meaning. I can create a story. I want to know right away. I got I want to figure this out. Like I want to tell me more why. Why because is that important? Because it makes me uncomfortable, you know, like, you know, that's where you grow right and there. And that's but where I'm like, so I, learning I, I, to sit uh, with that discomfort, maybe. It's hard, is. yeah. Oh, I, wanted, I want answers, you know, I want to figure this out. Don't, don't, keep me, don't keep me in limbo. I mean, come on. I can't control. I can control the answers, mm. even if they're lies. And they're, even yeah. if I'm believing, latching on to something, well, they're a bad person or they're doing this. But rather is like, I don't know, you know, what's the truth? The truth's probably not that. That's probably fear driving this thing, and they could be Absolutely. a very good person. So what I'm hearing you say is like question your question your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like could be you know what's the evidence say? It could be they're really you know good good person when you're thinking they're not or they're right. Or how do I like you know mindfulness? I think the tool with that was like just trying to help people get out of that trauma lens and just like be to be not be making assumptions about anything, right? Like I was trying to build that muscle of like. 
how do we just like let things unfold mm. and see what happens versus right already like, yeah, versus already making cool. our assumptions. That is, it makes a big difference. And I want to go and just mention that if, and we're not done talking and answering questions here, but if you're interested and you really like what you hear, if there's anything, you can sign up for the Decide Your Legacy e-newsletter. You'll get some life balance tips and 50 excellent relationship building questions. So sign up for that, decideyourlegacy.com. And we're going to move into a lot of the practical stuff now. So I'm sure people thinking and listening may be thinking, well, I relate to this, you know, traumatic events. I've had things or maybe not. Or they're like, yeah, I don't want to think about this stuff. But what is somebody, what are the treatments for trauma? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's several out there. I think every person is unique in what will speak to them. Um, we even have what we call like top-down approaches and bottom-up approaches. And top-down is probably going to work best, at least initially, for those who tend to be more in their heads and more controlling and more cognitive. How do I know? That is definitely me. Me too. Um, but I will say in my journey, I've gone from like top-down to like bottom-up, and that's been really – both are important to me okay. at least. Is both have been important. And, and bottom-up is where – um, you're working with things from your body and then it's kind of coming more to the surface and you're, you're then processing it through your, okay. your brain essentially. So, so like somatic experiencing, okay. EMDR, um, yoga can be more of a somatic or a bottom up experience. And mm. you might experience this if you've ever had a massage or been in yoga and like all of a sudden you feel something kind of release in your body or mm -hmm. you're like, you realize that you have certain things going on in mm. your body, even if your brain's okay. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where it's like your body feels freaked out or anxious, but your brain is like, everything's fine. This mm -hmm. is really weird. That's usually when you're processing something in your body. And mm. again, trauma can be stored in your body. I'm not going to go too far into that like rabbit hole because I feel like we're still touching on yeah. what trauma is. I don't want to like, sure, you know, I don't want to get too confusing, but. Another, um, we store it in our bodies as well. And trauma. so, yeah. So it, yep. what's an, would an example of top down be like, you're having this, all people with beards are dangerous because I had a situation. So let's question that. Like mm -hmm. there's a nice guy with a beard. Yes. And then, yes. okay, let's that go. That could be both actually. So that okay. is what we call experiential. And okay. I love experiential work because it takes, it takes time. But when we have repetitive, when we, it's almost like exposure therapy, even though I'm not an exposure therapist. So I, oh, I might be, I am actually. Okay. Okay. So, so let me, okay. Yeah. So this is helpful. Cause yeah. I'm like, there's, there's different things, but it's like, if you have somebody have an, ex, if they have a certain association with something and then they go mm. and experience it, even though yeah. it's uncomfortable for them. And again, like that's going to have right. different varying levels that can be healing too, both for the body and the mind. As like far someone's as afraid of flying and they actually go with their therapist to the airport, mm -hmm. right? And they actually eventually, you know, watch videos on YouTube of planes taking off. Mm -hmm. That's more of exposure mm -hmm. to the, the, the frightful thing. It's not, you're afraid of snakes and all of a sudden you bring out a, you know, a mm -hmm. box of snakes and here you can play with the snake. That's not what exposure therapy is. That would be like traumatizing for somebody. Mm -hmm. It's incrementally... Is that, that's what you're talking about here? So when I say, so again, because I'm not an exposure therapist, I like don't want to speak to that modality necessarily, but what I've seen be very healing for people is when they had certain experiences before in relationships and then they have a healthy relationship or somebody right who has a secure attachment and they're starting to have like 
And even though initially they might be pushing against it or like creating yeah. their narrative about it, they experience something different. And over time, that actually heals the way that they mm. approach that thing moving forward. Like they that have this experience a of a different <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And if then would, would, yeah. what, what role does emotion, your emotions play? Is that a bottom up? Kind of heal. That's, that's good. To, like, that's a that's a great question. Um, I would say yes, but like we also experience we put language to our emotions in our brain. So, but I feel like we feel it in our bodies. If that yeah. is a helpful way of explaining that, so yeah, that makes sense. You know, and it this is something that I want to share real quick is like I have two things that I often do with clients at the very beginning of a session. And I don't know, I, I do think this helps and relates to trauma, but one of them is I'll have them just identify quickly a positive emotion they felt recently, why, and what they learned from it. And then a negative emotion they, they felt recently, why, like, well, what happened? And well, maybe the boss cussed me out. What'd you learn from that? Well, I learned to be more assertive and not to, not to put up with that. Or so, because you learn from your emotions, you learn things and gain insight. You know, another thing I often have clients do at the very beginning of a session too, is just list some things that they're grateful for, like from the day before and what they're excited about and it gets them in a better state. And I don't know exactly why I'm sharing that, except that, you know, self-awareness is an exercise with gratitude. And there's a lot of what we're talking about too, is growing in your self-awareness. So you're not getting stuck. And how long does it take usually for someone to, to get, you know, to the other side mm -hmm. like that? Cause it, well, I mean, it depends on the trauma itself and like what they're working on and um, there's layers to it, right? So I I mean, I think if it's something more acute, I think people can make a lot of progress in like six months to a year, maybe even less if they are doing the work and they're really like – and when I say doing the work um, – I also mean just like they're where they're at in time and space and their ability to do the work. Okay. Um, but when we're talking about like healing childhood trauma and re rewriting the stories that we wrote in childhood, it takes time. I right. mean, I wish I could say it's like, you know, it's a four step process of four weeks, but um, for a lot of people that does take time, but it's not forever. I see a lot yeah. of change in my clients, usually like six months to a year, but that yeah. doesn't mean that they don't ever have like, layers to that, if that makes sense. Like they yeah. go, get through one process. So I'll give so the example I would give is, I, you know, like more than 50% of my clients I see have eating disorders. And that's just because like, there's such limited resources here that I get like, that's a ton mm. of my caseload. Yeah. And I, I love working with that population. And so um, I, you know, the things that are keeping them stuck in those behaviors, usually they're able to heal that with within like six months to a year when we're working together. Okay. Um, sometimes less, but that's, I'd say that's rare. And that's if the family system's also working with them. So it's kind of interesting where there's that like family system dynamic too. Mm. Anyway, um, but like I think supportive if the- friends and supportive family. Yes, that, that are, are also doing the work. They're doing their own work. Yes. To help them in the process. Yeah, the yeah. quickest the quickest turnaround I've ever seen has been <clears throat> with a client where amazing family system, everybody was in therapy. That's crazy. I it mean, was, yeah, it was cool like a, though. It's so cool. So, and so what do so you do amazing. then if you don't feel like your family is going to be supportive or they're going to get defensive or you don't want to hurt their feelings even because they were a part of that system in the past that basically expose you to the trauma, not intentionally, mm -hmm. but you know- what do you tell them to do? Do they just leave it be or do they actually address it? 
Yeah, I mean, I like leave it be as in, it, well, with inviting family the family. Friends. Yeah, you know. I think I think part of it is so it's tough because sometimes there's actually like this grief process of I'm going to work on this stuff and my family isn't. And like, especially if they're younger. So say if it's like their parents aren't willing to work on their trauma and their stuff, um, they actually have to come to terms with the fact that they may, you know, heal this stuff and their family may not ever, yeah. right? Like they actually have to come to yeah. terms and accept that. And that's actually a big part of that process of being like, I have to grieve the fact that I'm having to heal trauma that my family system isn't willing to work on, Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's tough. And also being, and also saying like in that, um, I'm, you know, I feel like as a therapist, I'm asking them to do a really hard thing. Um, and it's cool though, that they're, if they're able to accept it and, and like not, not in a way that they're angry or they're like, you know, cause I think anger just keeps them on the hook for that mm-hmm. too. Like, I if they're able to really lean into that and, um, focus on mm. their own process and journey and, and lovingly understand that like for whatever reason, their family system is not in that space mm-hmm. and they can't control that. Yeah. You know, they're still able to do amazing work. And I've seen that. Like I've seen that where I've had several most That's amazing. unfortunately, most of my clients, that is the case. They have to grieve the fact that they kind yeah. of emotionally yeah. outgrow their family. Yeah. And, and they don't really ways. need to even necessarily address it with their family. No. They just accept that that's where they're at and they mm-hmm. can move on and heal themselves Yes, and work. And so that's exciting. I got a couple more that I want to make sure I address. And one is, you know, how do you know, well, I mean, how does somebody find a good fit for them as a therapist that they can go on this journey with and know that this is a good fit, you know, cause. Yeah. I mean, mm. it was, it's funny. I was just thinking about that. I was like, that's a good question. Um, it's here would be my best advice, not that this is like a perfect um, solution. I think do your research, read, read bios about therapists. And I always encourage therapists to really put their, like put intentionality into their bios about who they're speaking to and, and also putting themselves into it too, because Mm -hmm. when somebody's going to work with you, they have to feel connected to you and they have to have that trust and rapport. Um, So I think it's, it's about reading those bios and really and ensuring that you choose somebody who isn't just, I don't know, it's hard because trauma is kind of a buzzword and I feel like almost every therapist uses mm-hmm. that word, but not every therapist right. actually does that work. And so I think it'd be be asking them intentional questions about trauma and the trauma work they've done and, okay. and interview, I mean, interview your therapist and go try a couple. Uh, um, I, you know, for even in my own journey, um, and I, <laughs> I didn't really electively go to therapy when I first started. Cause I was an angsty teen that had to be, I was forced into therapy. Um, man. but it took, it was, it wasn't until my fourth one that I actually made a connection. You know, originally I thought therapists were really, um, highly paid friends that you talk to. Yeah. And I kind <laughs> of, just roll my eyes at them. I was like, this is, this is not going to help me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a minute. And I, I, so I'd Man. encourage people, like, if you haven't found a good fit, like it may just, I mean, try, try a couple or try, you know, three to four before you really yeah. say, okay, let me, let me explore and like yeah. <clears throat> work on this and be vulnerable with this person. And you could end up being more comfortable with somebody just because they're for a variety of reasons, just mm-hmm. they're posture, their demeanor, their, you know, yep. maybe their 
their vibe is really positive or whatever, but going on that journey with somebody. This is a question I get quite a bit, kind of a controversial thing, but you hear a lot in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma that they're using psychedelics and, or at least (laughs) they're experimenting. I know there's some FDA trials and just because you're an expert here, I mean, you know, I consider myself knowledgeable on the topic. So what is your view of using psychedelics to treat trauma, especially when people are stuck? And I know there is some literature, some hope that it can help people that other modalities haven't actually helped. Yeah. So it it's not an area I know a ton about. I have theories based on the other things I know about that, like as to why sure. it might be helpful. Um, if, if this is the case, which I don't really know, but if these psychedelics are able to give people experiences or help their mind remyelinate new pathways or like have different ways of thinking, right? Because with trauma, we talk about how it gets yeah. stuck in that story. Yep. If these psychedelics help people just get out of those stories or it gives them some experience that is healing, it would be awesome, right? Yeah. Because that's essentially what we're trying to help people do. And they usually have to do it through um, life experience and going through therapy and like going through and like digging deep into that stuff. And I don't know that it will necessarily be a cure all, but I think there can be something very healing about, again, like the experience of something and that being something that challenges your trauma narrative and your trauma Mm. lens. And, and in that it heals, it starts to heal it because then you're like, oh, maybe not all people with beards are terrible yeah. all the time. Like there's yeah. one person out of 99 that are, yeah, that's you know, right. they're yeah. okay. Maybe not all clowns maybe are going to kill me. Right. Or, you know, and we're using yeah. silly examples, but like even relationally, like it's just so healing to be like, okay, like I can be myself and it's not always a dangerous thing. Yeah. Or I can like assert myself and set boundaries Man. and this be okay in the long run. And you're not going to be rejected for it or abandoned for it mm-hmm. or told that you shouldn't feel that way and validated because yes. there's new evidence of good people. So, mm-hmm. well, this is super helpful and good. And I know this is a long <laughs> podcast, but you has got to be when you got this kind of stuff coming out. A couple things here is, you know, if this was appealing to you, I'd really, you know, I'm a coach. My passion is coaching. I'm clinically licensed. I do, I do counseling as well. And there's a difference between the two. Coaching is very future oriented. Like I mentioned before, um, if you're interested in coaching, career coaching, uh, I got me and a Hunter is doing assistant coaching for me career and really specializing in the college age. And so if you're interested, reach out, please decideyourlegacy.com. And how can somebody reach you, Jenny, to engage with you? I know a lot of people are going to be interested in that from today. Yeah. So locally, I would say, uh, check out our website, Soma, S-O-M-E as in monkey a wichita.com um and non-locally if you're just wanting to connect to the different topics that we're talking about i am on tiktok at jenny ann helms that's j-e-n-n-y-a-n-n-h-e-l-m-s all right tiktok and i'm not on tiktok but <laughs> uh i think i might I might give this a shot we'll see in closing remember you have options in life the language you use means a lot i don't like when my clients say things like I must, I I ought to, I should. They act like they're trapped. I challenge them to say, I get to, mm-hmm. you know, I can move forward. I have options. Options are a great thing. They also mean you have responsibility to make your own decisions. And res- with responsibility is freedom. And it's a great thing. You have a chance now from this podcast to actually apply some things in your life. 
what are you going to apply? What resonates with you? What one thing from today are you going to say, hey, uh, I can do something different. I can think about something different. Hopefully you got a nugget. One thing, I wouldn't make it too complicated, but take that away. Tell your six-year-old about it. Apply it to your life. Create a plan. Uh, and tell your friends about this podcast. You know, if you like it, go check it out. Apple, Spotify, give me a review. Give Decide Your Legacy a review. Remember, you decide your legacy, no one else. You have choices to make. You have options. You decide your legacy. Take what you learned here. Move forward. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.